This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. Tis the season for a lot of movies to try to get our attention. It's not only the time when lots of big movies like Moana and Allied and eventually Rogue One start making their way out, but uh, screeners are piling up for the likes of all of us, but especially Richard, the film critic and newly minted member of the New York Film Critics Circle. So we'll talk to Richard about how to deal with that onslaught and then get into a lot of the movies that have been emerging over the last couple of days. It's really exciting. All these question marks that we had are finally revealed, including Four Fences, Rules Don't Apply, and Allied. So we're getting into what is every year the crunch time for movies where all of a sudden these movies that have been hiding and you've been wondering about start cramming screenings down the throats of people who vote in critics groups. Richard, you and I are both among them. You are in the New York Film Critics Circle. I'm in the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Both of them vote in early December. The BFC actually have televised awards that will be on December 11th. So it's all happening very fast this year. And you're hosting that show, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Course. yeah. I mean, really you know, The Rock wasn't available, so <laughs> they brought me in. Right. You've been working with a comedy team for months <laughs> oh, yeah. preparing jokes. Yeah. And, yeah. No, James Franklin. Franco and the Oscars is my model. <laughs> I'm good. So yeah, it's a wonderful problem to have with all too many movies debuting at once, but it's great because all these questions we've been sitting here for months talking about are answered. And I think the primary one that most people have been talking about that's finally revealed is Fences, which I feel like we talk about every week because we keep getting excited about it. Yeah. And Mike and Richard, you guys saw it and uh, I hear Viola Davis is going to win that Oscar. We can't tell you anything about it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're, all we're going to do is smugly talk about how we saw it and we yeah. can't tell you a thing and how viola smells because yeah. she was shaking hands afterwards and uh, uh yes yes uh no, she's very fragrant no um <laughs> yeah we can talk about it right yeah, can. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. uh yeah she's gonna win the oscar yeah i mean mike and i were at the same screening we didn't get to talk to each other in person at the screening for various reasons but we did text with you katie about yeah. it and like an hour in it's like oh there it is like the oscar yeah. just kind of floats across the screen <laughs> yeah. you know and then an hour later it happens again because she has these two really big moments in the movie yeah Right. So the first thing to know is that she kind of starts in the background. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, sort of the point of the play and now the film. Yeah, she's like a wife who's kind of stood by her man. Yeah. And, and Denzel is her husband. And he just, you know, he just takes up an awful lot of oxygen. He's just like a guy with a lot of character. And like a lot of men, he's a pain in the ass. But she loves him and adores him. And so she's kind of happy to take this secondary role. And then as things evolve in their life, she kind of comes to the fore in an incredibly moving, believable way and emotional way. And that's the point where we like to joke about the kind of snot crying, but it ha- it does happen. And at that point, you were like, okay, this is over. No mm-hmm. wonder everyone was saying that. So the only question now is, is it right that they're running her and supporting yeah. I think they can justify it because of the yeah. way that it worked. I mean, Denzel's just talking basically the entire movie, mm-hmm. ranting, shouting. She has like three big moments mm-hmm. and then spends a lot of time 
observing and reacting. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that you can get away with it. I mean, it's a big, big role, but but, but it's, it's a not literal like, supporting role. I mean, you know, yes, like, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah no, no matter the, the amount of lines or whatever, and she does get, like you said, Mike, move to the center of the film gradually. You know, by until mm-hmm. you know by the end, she's she's right there. You know, I'd seen the play a long time ago and read it in college as part of you know theater stuff, but I had kind of forgotten though how Rose functions in that story, and. You know, I thought I was going to walk away and be like, "Oh, category fraud." I don't think it is. I yeah. think it. I think it makes sense in a sort of more like high-minded supporting actor kind of way. Yeah. You know, if you were to talk about screen time and all that, sure, maybe there could be an argument made. But but also one of the things that people have argued about is that she won the best actress Tony, right? Yes. Yeah. A little bit of a difference in the film versus the play is that because it's a film, they're able to set some scenes away from the house where most of the things happen, and those scenes are mostly Denzel and not her, right? It's, right. it's usually Denzel and. Stephen Henderson, the great August Wilson so stage actor who yeah. plays his friend. The opening scene of the film, they're riding on the back of the garbage truck, you know, which is how they make their living. There's another one in a bar or whatever. And you're not necessarily seeing Viola in these other places. So again, I think yeah. there's enough of an argument to be built around it that I don't think it's a scandal. And the other thing about the Tony is that, you know, we had talked about that before on the podcast and then some a couple of people on Twitter were like, well, the first actress ran in you know, a featured role category at the Tonys. In so the first there, yes. Yeah, there's been yeah. some yeah. kind of rejiggering of so this. It's, as, it's as hovering it's on the line yeah. here. So is the movie good? You know, it is. I think so. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I've talked to some people who are not huge fans of it and other people who are, I sort of fall on the pro side. I think there's something about filming a play that you either go very cinematic or you just film a play. Yep. And Denzel Washington also directed kind of just films a play and that's going to put some people off mm-hmm. but like I really appreciated that because it gives this beautiful poetic language a real just focus and there's not a lot of you know aesthetic junk kind of cluttering things up it's very spare very simple yeah. um, and I think it really works I think yeah. you know and the other thing is Viola Davis is wonderful but Denzel Washington is really really good too and he just has these torrents of speech that just are well filmed and <laughs> well acted and I, I don't know it worked for me yeah I mean my one criticism of it is because it really does follow the structure of a play, you know, it's normal to go to a Broadway August Wilson play and spend three hours and know that you're going to have like a three or five act structure. Right. And in a film, you start to be like, okay, yeah. you know, like, can we sort of zero in a little bit more on what the themes are? Because it starts right. to, it's just like, I don't know what, what it is about a film, but we kind of want them to be two hours mm-hmm. uh, or less. So it's not that much longer than two hours. I don't think it's not three, but it's long. No, it's over two though. Yeah. yeah. But I do appreciate the fact that he is true to it. You know, let's remember that August Wilson wrote the screenplay, so he's That's not going right. to start messing around too much with, with a that. little tinkering from Tony Kushner. Right. After right. the fact. Tony yeah. Kushner, just yeah. like every year he pops up and uh, makes something yeah. good, really great. But, yeah. but you know, Denzel, it's an interesting thing just from strictly from an awards perspective because he's really quite phenomenal as an actor and also I think as a director. It's not like one of these, you know, he's at Clint Eastwood territory now where like you may yeah. agree or disagree with one of the choices that he makes, but like this dude can direct. Yeah. You know, it's not like some of the other actors who kind of come in and you're like, okay, nice try. Well, it's interesting. I mean, this is only the third movie he's directed and the first yeah. two, I mean, Antoine Fisher and The Great Debaters, like didn't really make a huge impact. Is this like his coming out where it's like, oh, hello, I am the Clint Eastwood? I think like, so. Yeah, he's not a dilettante. Say. In this and by the way, go back and watch Bird. You know, Clint Eastwood early on, like, that is not a good movie. It's it's an interesting movie, but it's a hot mess, you know? So, like, it takes a while for anybody. But I'll say something just on the best actor question. The role is just so unlikable. 
you know, and James Earl Jones played it uh, famously on on Broadway, and then Denzel played it on Broadway. You have to be that charismatic and that likable to make you not hate this character, but it still could be potentially a hurdle. You know, for winning the Oscar, he, I think there's no question he's going to be nominated. Well, that was an actual monster, so mm. yeah. If but anyone this can one's do it, different. It's him, right? This one is more about emotional. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but there's like an emotional betrayal thing that makes you angry at him. That's different from you know being a badass who like kills everybody, and yeah. um, and I think that that will be a hurdle. But to me, it, this is now to me a Casey Affleck Denzel race, and Ryan Gosling is no longer, in my opinion, in the hunt to actually win. Because these two performances are just so mind blowing. Well, Ryan Gosling always seemed kind of at a disadvantage because even in the you know the way that La La Land is structured, it's so much her movie and yes. so much when you've got like a really sparkling lead female performance, often the men kind of get shunted to the side. So he was always going to have an uphill battle there. Yeah, and his style is very sort of laconic, and the character is kind of that too. He's a little bit evasive. This character is all up in your face, you know, the whole time. It's really uh, quite a performance. So is Fences going to be all about the acting and maybe Denzel Washington as director, which we'll talk about later, or is it a Best Picture play too? I think nominee, yes. Yeah, sure. I think so. I mean, I think that you know, talking about Denzel Washington, this is his third film. The other two films are interesting subject matter, but this he clearly cares a heck of a mm-hmm, lot about, mm-hmm. and so he really kind of goes full force, while also not you know, he doesn't devour the movie with his performance. I mean, he lets other people shine as well. So I think it's actually, it's a subtle bit of directing, but there's an artfulness to it. There's some really nice cinematography. There's some subtle kind of music cues here and there. I think it's kind of stately enough and it feels important enough that I would be surprised if it isn't part of the best picture list. Well, I guess speaking of stately and important, there's a World War II movie out this week. Mm, yeah. uh, those are always, <laughs> at least yeah. there's some default Oscar buzz that mm-hmm. happens. Uh, but it sounds like Allied is maybe not a powerhouse the way you might have expected with Marion Cotillard, Brad Pitt, and uh, Robert Zemeckis, who has been an Oscar powerhouse in the past, but last year had The Walk, one of the most yeah. famously disaster Oscar bids. But the interesting thing about The Walk was that, you know, Zemeckis is one of these guys who just 10, 15 years ago just fell in love with technology and was yeah. like, I'm just going to tinker with this and, you know, has done a lot of the motion capture Mo-cap, and yeah. yeah, to varying degrees of success. But, you know, The Walk had this centerpiece 20 minute long segment where mm-hmm. it's Philip Petit on the tightrope and that's amazingly well done in that film and everything around it is like eh, you know yeah. but with Allied there is no big technical moment where you're like oh this is why Zemeckis did this movie I mean there are some scenes so it's kind of an odd project for him to be attached to at this well, stage well it's interesting career, that it comes out a year after the walk like he yeah. was kind of in production and as the walk was coming out which is not usually the way no. these directors at this stage in their career work so I was kind of surprised that it was yeah. happening to begin with and coming out this year. And I think that's kind of the general, I mean, my my takeaway from the movie was like, okay, sure. like, But I just don't really know why, with all of this prestige kind of <laughs> attached to it, I don't really know why this was the movie that they all did. I mean, it's an interesting story. It's a World War II spy thriller. It's It's fine, but it feels kind of slight considering when it's coming out, who's in it, who made it. Yeah. It's kind of like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith where the most interesting thing about it is wondering if Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard are like more than co-stars. Yeah. Um, you mean they're she- friends too? <laughs> yeah. 
Which she, uh, poor thing, has been on the publicity tour basically by herself because Brad Pitt's been bowing out and yeah. keeps having to talk about her sex scenes with Brad Pitt. There it, is actually a, 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 quite an elaborate sex scene. That uh, might be the, uh, the, technical, the technical challenge. Moment. Can yeah. you do a sex scene in a car in a sandstorm? Which the funny thing about that is it brings to mind um, one of my favorite movies, The English Patient, where there's no sex in it, but there is a sandstorm and Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas get stuck in a car. And the whole time during this allied cameras swirling around them 360 mm-hmm. i was like oh your car's gonna get buried like, like <laughs> that's all i could think i wasn't really like focusing on you were about them suffocating the passion of the moment yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i just find it so strange stephen knight who wrote this film wrote eastern promises mm-hmm. and lock with the tom hardy film. movies yeah. yeah and burnt with bradley cooper and i wonder if it's sort of one of those things where it's like is this gonna be eastern promises or is it gonna be burnt right. although people like burnt but it's fine. Like, it's a totally yeah. enjoyable yeah. two hours. Mm-hmm. And and there's something kind of viscerally fun in this moment of anxiety to watch Brad Pitt, Marion Cotillard, just, like, mow down a bunch of Nazis with machine guns. Yeah. yeah it mach- kind of makes you feel like, eh, it'll be all right. Yeah. Marion you know? Cotillard in a beautiful 1940s pale blue silk gown with a nice old 1940s machine gun in, like, a fancy place in Morocco just kind of shooting yeah. that thing off. It's, Shoot it's Nazis. really satisfying. Yeah, so it's, like, kind of beautiful, and she's amazing, as always, and Brad Pitt is like Brad Pitt, and by the end of it, that's... That's just great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at first you might be like, oh, here's Brad Pitt doing Brad Pitt again. But you always settle in with Brad him. Pitt doing Brad Pitt is, you know, like, why he's why a giant movie it? star. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I think it's fine, but I don't think it's going to get any Oscars. I mean, I, you know, we're heading into Thanksgiving. I think depending on your family's political bent, this is probably a pretty safe down the middle mm-hmm. kind of thing. You'd be like, uh, you know, let's go see that because it's entertaining. It's about something that is pretty uncontroversial i think you know yeah. nazis were bad yeah um uh another great performance by jared harris oh yeah who's having oh quite a uh, yeah. quite a yeah. couple of weeks or months uh, yeah apparently there's a strong fan contingent that wants him to be in the uh, fantastic beasts sequels as the young dumbledore so you know maybe this is all his resume building to get to uh have his own oh, harry potter franchise uh, just as long as he doesn't smoke i can't watch him smoke ever again after that after... thing in the crown oh, oh I haven't god seen, uh, just you horrible. know they've just removed his lung and he's like chain smoking yeah. you're just like stop smoking yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's grim wow it's, yeah. that is the most visceral yeah. thing about that. Yeah. so the interesting thing about Allied is maybe we could have known it wasn't an Oscar play all along because it's coming from Paramount which also has Fences and Silence so they kind of have yeah. two horses to ride mm-hmm. and Silence remains kind of the one major question mark left although as I understand it, we're getting a teaser out this week I think probably with Allied in theaters so we'll finally get a little bit of insight about that But yeah they really have um, kind of held that to the last minute I kind of like it I, I, th- I do too and I think it's a good strategy because it makes people really curious about the movie. Although it also might have the opposite effect of people don't know what's happening other than us, you know, kind of people who follow this stuff. Well, this didn't work for Scorsese last time around with Wolf of Wall Street, right. but it seems like this is an incredibly different type of a film. Well, Wolf of Wall Street got its good share of nominations. I mean, it, yeah. had, it was the the big controversial thing that everyone was talking about that year so that's true. that worked too with silence i'm a little bit concerned about margot robbie playing a japanese person in the 16th century i think and, that's a weird cast and sitting in a bathtub drinking champagne yeah like yeah that's short, weird right? casting yeah. but um <laughs> no i mean so i'm seeing it next week so not the next episode but episode after we'll have something to say about it but everything i've heard from people who've seen early early screenings in la well one person <laughs> that i've talked to about it is that it's pretty good and that it's kind of like a one-man show i mean with with andrew garfield, with andrew garfield yeah, yeah. 
And so we've been, uh, you know, that. we were team Andrew Garfield last year with 99 Homes, so we've been kind of waiting for and him And I think to, he's uh, really good yeah. in Hacksaw Ridge. So, oh, I, yeah. you know, I, I think he's having a good year. What a year for yeah. him, actually. I mean, a weird year, because yeah. these two high-profile directors and these two high-profile movies, Hacksaw doesn't really seem to have made much of a dent in the conversation or anything. Silence very well could. I mean, it's Scorsese, it's end of the year. But it could also not, you know, because it's kind of esoteric subject matter. And so it might be kind of interesting if Andrew Garfield has these two big movies that kind of just, you know, yeah. d- don't quite get into orbit. Yeah, if he has to switch halfway through about, uh, yeah. you know, which one he's Oh, what about. he's campaigning for. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's um, got kind of a messiah complex going on these days, huh? Does yeah. he still show up everywhere with a busload of children? <laughs> Was he doing, he that was, was when doing he was Spider-Man. Like, he yeah. did a lot of work with, like, kids who <laughs> love Spider-Man. You, you sound so hateful of him. For what do you mean? <laughs> I just think it's odd. That's all. <laughs> he was a real-life superhero. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. So we can talk briefly, I think, about Rules Don't Apply, which mm-hmm. is uh, another movie that has opened and does not seem to have kind of the Oscar heat that would uh, keep it going through the rest of the season. But it, it's Warren Beatty, so it, it yeah. merits discussion. It's Warren Beatty. It's about Hollywood. It's yeah. Well, it's about Howard Hughes, but it takes place place in LA in the 60s and it's got I mean the the leads are Alden Ehrenreich and Lily Collins and the yeah. interesting thing about that is that the movie was filmed a few years ago and it just took a long time to edit mm-hmm. um and Alden Ehrenreich and Lily Collins' stars were sort of different levels of ascendant when they filmed it yeah and now because of Hail Caesar and now he's Han Solo mm-hmm. Alden Ehrenreich is like about to break big and Lily Collins I don't know where she's at right now yeah. but so it's just kind of an interesting moment in time but they're really the leads and then Warren Beatty who wrote directed and co-stars is kind of fading adult howard hughes but you know it's really about two dreamers in love kind of thing is it like my week with Marilyn, where it's like a story kind of on the fringes of hollywood history yeah it's exactly like that uh though it's a little bit stranger than than Hmm. that um because howard hughes was an odd guy and i think warren Beatty's kind of an odd guy the movie has a sort of weird rhythm to it and it, it spans maybe four or five years all told and you get all of these cameos i mean candace bergen matthew broderick Ed Harris, Annette Benning. I mean, it's just like, it's just I mean, all these people were lining up to be in a Warren Beatty movie because there hasn't been one in mm-hmm. some decade and a half. I don't know if it all quite gels the way that I wanted it to, but there's some really, you know, good stuff about it. Lily Collins has this lovely little song that I think was written for the movie. It's a song called Rules Don't Apply that they kind of keep revisiting as sort of a motif throughout the movie, which I like could be maybe best original song. Hey. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Warren Beatty's good. You know, he's a good actor. He's playing a creep, but he has a, an innate charisma that carries a lot of his scenes and alden Ehrenreich, i'm a fan of is alden a best actor possibility or is warren a best supporting actor possibility? i think i think the latter yeah i think Beatty maybe yeah. but i think Ehrenreich, they want him that the, the oscar voters just want him at their party that's exactly right yeah, yeah. and i think with Ehrenreich, he's such a charming guy but I, I think his charm is a little bit put on mute in this movie yeah. um i think so that Beatty can be the kind of charismatic figure mm. in the film but you know, he's really good. And, you know, this was a few years ago. And this is a kid who I think he was in his early mid 20s at this point, you know, and he holds his own against some big heavy hitters. It's definitely if, if I were some agent or casting director and I saw Alden Eric in that movie, I'd be like, oh, he can handle anything. Yeah. It's really wild realizing that Warren Beatty is still a massive movie star who has made so few movies. Like in the last yeah. two decades, he's been in about five movies and 
One of them is Town and Country, which is something everyone immediately forgot. I mean, this is his first starring role since Bulwark. Well, Town and Country was this notoriously fraught project that yeah. cost an insane amount of money and it barely came out because, yeah. you know, it was a whole mess. Yeah, so you look at how he's really maintained his role in the Hollywood firmament while really doing whatever he wants and coming back when he feels like it. You know, there's a whole generation of people, and I think I'm part of that generation, that doesn't really get the, like, Warren Beatty megastar no. thing yeah. because his heyday was in the 70s and 80s, and then he's, you know, it's not like he's faded. He's just kind of chosen to do whatever he wants. and. Yeah. I would like for this to be his big kind of return, but at the very least, he'll be on the circuit all the time. You talk about Oscar voters wanting Warren Beatty to come to their party, but Annette Benning is pretty much guaranteed a nomination for 20th century True. women. So we get, yes. we get them both. So, right. So just to, out of politeness, they got to give him <laughs> something to be campaigning for. Right, exactly. You can't just be in the Prince Philip role here. Right. You know. <laughs> no. It's no, not befitting of Hollywood's resident Lothario of old. And I think that the movie is solid enough to float that, you know? Like, I don't think that yeah. it wouldn't be something like crazy, like, why is this guy nominated for this? Right. It's a nice movie. It's it's long. And uh, again, like, speaking about not quite being old enough to connect to the Warren Beatty mythos, mm-hmm. I also don't connect to the Howard Hughes thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is an interesting thing to think about the aviator and then, you know, this is about Howard Hughes much later in life mm-hmm. and sort of how those two connect. Alec Baldwin is in this and the aviators. <laughs> Alec Baldwin was just like in Howard Hughes stories. The forever. shared Howard Hughes universe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's almost playing the same character. Too. It's really <laughs> funny. The interesting thing about supporting actor is, you know, even if Rules Don't Apply doesn't really make an impact, there's t- tons of room in there tons for kind of a Warren Beatty legacy nomination. Like mm-hmm. you basically got Mahershala Ali representing Moonlight and then maybe Liam Neeson in Silence and then a lot of open space. Yeah. And there often is that sort of, I mean, it's probably just by chance, but there often is that one sort of veteran person Mm -hmm. anchoring the group in any category, especially supporting for some reason, I feel like. I think of the Christopher Plummer and Beginner's Win, where it's like there's room to have a veteran actor come in and like really draw a movie's attention around themselves if it's a story about younger people. The Bruce Dern slot. Well, Warren Beatty, you know, has a directing Oscar, but not an acting one. Yeah. you know, who knows? I mean, that's the thing is we've been paying so much attention to this kind of Portman, Stone, Benning thing, mm-hmm. Affleck, Washington, whoever, that that supporting category, it's like, oh, right. I know. <laughs> There's going to be an Oscar <laughs> for that. There will be a fourth person clinking Oscars with, yeah. you know, Viola Davis and Emma Stone and whoever else. Um, <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's me predicting things. The, but the, the clinking Oscar photo being the highlight I, of oh, all. Oh, it's the best. It, it's, it's the, the best. best. One. It's Because, so, it, it, you know, if you go back and actually look at the years past and you're like oh right they all won the same year it's a fun yeah like there's a picture of nicholas cage with the other people who won the (laughs) everyone looking kind of confused you come to the new yorker radio hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from whether it's bruce springsteen or quest love or olivia rodrigo Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. 
So as mentioned earlier, all the critics group votes are in early December, which is a good time in terms of Oscar buzz. You know, the Golden Globe nominations come out. The Oscar nominations are in early January. Like you need to be prepared. But as a critic and as someone who's voting on awards, it's complete madness because mm. all of a sudden you've got screeners for the stuff you didn't see earlier in the year and then screenings of all of these things that are finally showing themselves. And it's all happening over Thanksgiving. So theoretically, you're supposed to be spending time with your family, but instead watching screeners. Richard, what's your screener pile like for the week of Thanksgiving? Oh, it's pretty big. Um, you know, last week I saw seven movies oh my God. Um, wow. at screening rooms, wow. not, not on like DVD because it's just that time of the year yeah. and it's fun I and mean, I'm not complaining. But yeah, I have a, a pretty hefty pile that I'm bringing home to Boston for Thanksgiving. And I'll admit, you know, most of them are documentaries. Mm-hmm. Stuff I, you know, a camera person and a couple other things. I did get a chance to watch Fire at Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a vacation the week of the election because I was uh, stumping for Trump, obviously, yes. in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, that's a joke, guys. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but uh, and that's a great documentary. Really good. I caught up on Wiener and, you know, various things. But I still have more documentaries to watch. And that's always something that I sleep on, you know, kind of all year. And yeah. so it's, it's time to catch up. There aren't really any narrative like scripted films that i'm really behind on yeah i got a screener for sausage party which a childhood friend of mine i think i mentioned this podcast was an animator on and i still have not watched that so uh. i'm bringing that home i don't know if my parents Great are gonna family family fair. Are you, so you're caught yeah. up on like secret life of pets and finding dory and all of the like, oh actually stuff. no i'm not oh, see? Yeah, yeah so you're right no, that's yeah. always yeah. You, you animated think, you feel like you're caught up and it's foreign yeah. films animated and oh i got kubo and the two strings mm-hmm. uh, which i'm excited about because like i hear david Ehrlich, a friend of the yeah. podcast loves that movie so i'm i'm curious to watch that you know even if you have the hard copy it's hard to find the time yes. um, yeah, i mean you have a but, you have a job to do and it's not just that it's like this is the time when you're given to catch up on all the stuff that came out earlier but right. you know they finally start screening silence and jackie and 20th century women and yeah. the, it, there's just this you know two-month period where everything is really flinging itself at you and then you get to the end of the year late december when the rest of the world is like oh i think i'll finally go see rogue one or whatever and you're like oh i've seen everything i'm exhausted oh, one, right. <laughs> i just want to yeah. go to bed but now so you have a different life circumstance than i do you're your new parent what are the movies that you really feel like you need to catch up on before you vote for your i mean things? it's like it's all the big stuff that's come out during the year i had yeah. the advantage of you know over the summer anything that was on itunes basically I was able to catch so like I've seen a bigger splash and I've seen the lobster and wiener and Mm -hmm. Zootopia and stuff like that that was all available but it's stuff like you know I canceled two different screenings last week that I was going to try to catch because I just ran out of time just in my actual office job much less like not being able to go to night screenings but I think the kind of fun thing about that you know is that it does open you up to focus on things like a bigger splash like kind of smaller weird things you know I I think that there's so much clutter and and this is going to be my first year voting for really anything on this scale and I think my big concern it's like i'm gonna forget about a movie you know like oh right but i loved blank in you know are you keeping a list of everything that you've seen i have a mental list well so it kind of it's been so no no (laughs) no 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 i have a a spreadsheet i know i do yeah Yeah. we're reaching the end of the year so you know the top 10 movies of the year post that we'll put up on the website i have like 15 movies on that list in my head right now so that's been helpful in terms of figuring out what I'm going to vote for. You should do a spreadsheet with titles down the left and categories across and just a little X. And then you'll never, then you'll be able to say later, 
Like these are the twelve movies where I thought there could be You're a right. supporting. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I've got right. like a list. <laughs> no, I should. No, I'll do. Maybe I'll do that when I'm home. If I can figure out how to make a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. in a long time. I, I am yeah. keeping a yeah. list on a notes in my phone, which is how oh, high okay. tech I've gotten. Yeah. But you know, because I haven't seen so many of these fall movies, like you know, things that are still really prominent in my brain are like Michael Shannon and Midnight Special, or uh, the mm. the main kid in Hunt for the Wilder People, who I thought was so great. Like, there's a lot of like yeah. little things from throughout the year that I'm excited to be able to bring back. Like Sing Street, maybe is my favorite movie that I've seen. All year, oh, which wow, I think yeah. a lot of people didn't catch at all. So I mean, I'm throwing my weight behind Haley Steinfeld in Edge of Seventeen yeah. for Best Actress. I think she's so good in that movie. It did kind of not that well this weekend, which is disappointing because well, I think that's a great movie. I but. think that's such a valuable thing when you're doing your nominations. Like, who are the people who need me to stump for them? Like, yeah. the Critics' Choice Awards have a young actor category that uh, oh, that's I nice, think this yeah. year in particular, I mean, as I mentioned, Sing Street and Hunt for the Wilder People both have really great kid actors. Little Men, the Iris Axe movie. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. just trying to like really rack your brain and think beyond this club. And I think that that's a challenge that this time of year in this system provides is you're getting flooded with screeners. You watch all the stuff. You're seeing everything that everyone's talking about at the moment while you're doing the nominating, which is why all these movies come out this time of year. But it really disadvantages all the movies that came out earlier that are worthy of your attention. It's not a short attention span. It's just a room in your brain yeah. to hold all this stuff in place. I keep forgetting The Lobster came out this year. Well, you saw example. The Lobster like yeah. almost two years ago. Yeah, but like I really want to remember that movie because I, yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. Mike, what's left on your docket? Is there any big movie or any big performance that you feel like you haven't seen yet or you want to kind of remind yourself of? <laughs> you have a day job. <laughs> I have a day job and so there's some big holes. There's some flaming holes like Loving has been actually bugging me for the past few weeks and I've been trying to get a screener and not able to get one and I yeah. haven't been able to make a screening. I actually was hoping to see Nocturnal Animals last week but it conflicted with Fences but I want to see that. That's not being talked about too much in an awards context. I think you made the but right choice. But some people really enjoyed it. You know, there's a lot of stuff I have to see and I'm just waiting for like the good screeners to come out. I get... This is a very privileged conversation yes. by the way. For I we, know. We, we get all these this piles is, of things. Yeah. But it's great. I mean, you know, we need to see these things. I think my rubric has always been in ear past before i had this particular job was like if i've at least seen every best picture nominee then i feel like i have a good sense of the year but that's increasingly i don't know it's harder and harder to do well but that's the great thing about oscar season and we complain about the oscars going on forever and you know late february feels like an eon from now but it gives people who have day jobs and or babies or aren't getting screeners time between january and the end of february to see arrival and violence and all this stuff like these movies play longer i think because of this buzz so we have this crazy pressure on ourselves to see everything by early december but everyone else gets to listen to what we talk about and then take their time Uh, you know going home for thanksgiving and then christmas my mom was happy that i have this job and you know everything but uh she's always like well now you've seen everything so we we used to go to a movie every thanksgiving and every christmas (laughs) and now now we can't do that anymore i do come home with you know these screeners but it's all like hard to watch documentaries and well that's the other thing is like if you live with somebody or if you're going home yeah you know You've got these heavy, like Tony Erdman came. It's like, well, I should watch this. This but, three like, hour German. Boy, does my fiance prefer to watch The Crown. You right. know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's totally. just, that's just, you can't yeah. win that argument. Yeah. So where, where are you going to watch Tony Erdman? Yeah. Like on your laptop, you know. That's literally how I watched Phoenix last year. I think it was last year. It became oh, one of my sure. favorite movies. I like watched it movie. on my laptop in a corner of the house and I loved it. And I was just, you while know, your husband was like watching baseball doing or something, something yeah. else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. living life. Uh, and yeah. I think he would have liked it too, but you know, to get another person to commit to that in the middle of the day it's uh again a privileged conversation well you know as as a freewheeling bachelor my 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 problem is more like i'd just rather watch house hunters (laughs) (laughs) and this is why we think oscar voters uh also fail to vote for the tony erdman's or phoenixes of the world sorry germany well the nice thing is that in two weeks richard you'll know everything 
Yeah, except for Rogue One. And Passengers, it seems like. Those are going to be uh, two oh, kind yeah. of Christmas question marks. But yeah, both of them seem much more like box office plays at this point. I think I made this joke last week, too. Don't forget Collateral Beauty. That's true. God, that movie. Mm-hmm. They've not been screening it, which is never a good sign. But I'm very curious about it. I kind of keep forgetting it exists. And there's also Office Christmas Party. Of course. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah Kate comes, McKinnon. Yeah, it comes out in early December. So, yeah, in two weeks, Richard will quiz you on everything, and then uh, we'll spend two months <laughs> talking about Yeah, and in a couple weeks, there are also going to be movies that I'm allowed to talk about that I've already seen. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so. yeah well, stay tuned, little Goldman listeners. There's many adventures to come. <laughs> So before we go, we're going to uh, go big before we go home and talk about Best Director because we were talking about Fences and Denzel Washington and his kind of emerging as a Clint Eastwood. Does that mean he's going to win Best Director? Does anyone want to take that bet? Um, I don't think that he'll win, but he could definitely could be nominated. It seems um, like he really yeah. will, right? Paramount is doing an interesting kind of campaign with him. And I kind of feel like they're almost pushing him harder for director than they are actor for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Well, he's won two acting Oscars. Yeah. So there's definitely a, like, a mm-hmm. sense there that's like, how, are we really going to give this guy a third Oscar? Yeah. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but it's just that's a hard thing to do. It is. But I think that the way that he handles the material and it's, it's important material. I mean, it's, it's August Wilson's probably most famous play and, mm-hmm. and he's a really important playwright. He's so respectful, but also insightful. He doesn't keep it at a distance. He really does grapple with it. I think it's well done. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in that mix. I think that there are other sort of more stylish films, a La La Land or something that, mm-hmm. that maybe will get a little more attention and maybe, you know, just kind of dazzle people more. Yeah. But it's a really kind of solid old fashioned bit of directing. So what's your prediction then at this point? For best director? Yeah. Um, I'm still going to go Chazelle. We talked about it last week, you know, in the post-Trump, you know, pre-Trump really era that people are going to want singing and dancing. And, and the thing about La La Land, I don't mean to minimize the artistry. I mean, it's segments that work really well, work amazingly well, and it's beautifully built and really intricate. And I just think of that scene at the party, the camera following through the party while people are singing and then it goes into the pool under yeah. the water. I yeah. mean, it's really like dazzlingly good. Yeah. And people love Whiplash so much yeah. that... I think he's people loved Whiplash. Yeah. I mean, that like that yeah. was a tiny movie that really got powered on from affection, and J.K. Simmons won an Oscar for it. Well, and if you are familiar with L.A. or you live in L.A., then you can see what he does in the film. A lot of people who don't visit L.A. often or haven't lived there may not realize this, but he's taking the MGM musical tricks and applying them to a world that is LA and looks exactly like it. So it has the actual look and feel of real Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. If you arrive there as a young person wanting to kind of get ahead, but it does all this kind of fun cinematic stuff on that palette. And that's really quite something, I think. And ultimately it's enjoyable and semi feel good. I think Barry Jenkins, it's an incredible achievement and I think he'll get nominated. For Moonlight, but I think probably for someone who has never made a movie that I mean, he has one other film, but that was a long time ago, and it's like a little black and white thing on Netflix. Like the nomination is going to be the reward this year, and the other person who seems guaranteed to get nominated is Ken Lonergan, but. I could see him winning like screenplay or something. Yeah. You know the thing they do with playwrights, like great job. And, well, and it's screenplay very... is easier because they break it up into two categories, yeah. right? And Manchester is not. It's really well made, but it's not like artistic flourishes right. all over the place. And, you know, yeah, kind of in the same way that fences, you know, it's, it's simple. It's, it's pretty yeah, spare. It's restraint yeah. is what works for it. It's, it's yeah. like pitch perfect, but not, there's, there's no, but it's hard for a director to win on that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, are you going with Giselle too then for the win, Mike? 
Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I am. I just think that that's what's going to happen. So I could be um, <laughs> contrarian. I think Denzel could win based on the fact that he's Denzel. Yeah. You know, he was there at the screening that we went to, which answered mm-hmm. my first question, which was whether he was going to bother with any of the PR stuff. But oh, um, he is. Yeah. But I don't know how much he's going to do of that. You well, know? He probably if he go- starts going around making people feel good. That he could win. Well, that, so that was going to be my prediction. I think Damien Chazelle is incredibly talented. But he's 31 years old. I mean, the Academy has a bias against young actors, like much less young directors. Like yeah. that's a really hard ceiling to crack. And Denzel Washington, you have this veteran who everybody likes, who's really going to be doing the PR for his movie. I think he knows that his attachment to fences is what's going to draw people to it. And then again, the Academy is struggling to really embrace diversity. You've got Denzel Washington, who could be the first ever black best director winner, which is kind of an astonishing is, yeah, fact. Yeah. We kept thinking Steve McQueen had won for 12 Years a Slave, but that just won Best Picture. So, I, don't, I mean, I think the narrative behind Denzel Washington could really be powerful a- enough. And speaking of Warren Beatty uh, and Mel Gibson, I mean, yeah. there is precedent for actors winning Huge you know, precedent. As, as directors. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, actors director, are the winner, biggest branch. Kevin right? Costner yeah. has a Best Director Oscar. There you go. Now, is it still the case? Does it still work this way where in order to get the nomination, you have to get approval from the very eccentric director's branch and then yes. the big... Yes, the individual branches do the nominations and then everybody votes. See, that that's going to be the problem for, I feel like, some of the kind of big actors. Like, if they can get through that, mm-hmm. then it becomes, hey, the biggest branch of this thing is actors. Yeah. I'll say one other thing. I kind of hate doing this, but sometimes I can see negative things coming. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I could see being flung at Denzel is the fact that the production that he has adapted was directed by somebody else on Broadway. So oh, in some ways, yeah. yeah, you could argue that he's just, he took most of the same cast. Yeah. yeah. Same cast. So a lot of the characterization is being done with a different director. That's and a good so point. I could see that being wielded uh, potentially as a negative. Yeah. It might sound like inside baseball to most people, but among that director's group, yeah, mm-hmm. that's stuff they pay attention to. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I think that he, you know, at just the little glimpse we got of him at that screening at Lincoln Center last week, you know, he's there for the movie, but he's yep. still that kind of a, some, somewhat aloof, well, Denzel all of them kind of thing. And, we're saying how afraid they are of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's probably... But in this kind of reverential way. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. They're like, I didn't want to let him down, and I was yeah. afraid of him. He kept laughing, but yeah. you're like, you know they're afraid The kid who plays the son was clearly yeah. like, like, don't don't say anything bad about dad, but like, right. also, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was very, actually kind of like the play, but uh-huh. the one thing I'll say also about Denzel Washington Best Director campaign that the Oscars as an institution might care about, that ABC might care about is that oh my god that's another chance for a celebrity to win an award mm-hmm. you know because usually the directors some you know sure. Spielberg or whoever like but like usually it's just somebody that people don't know Michelle has vicious right exactly but like oh so a f- kind of a fifth movie yeah. star wins yeah, yeah, yeah. an award you know yeah. so I don't know I think that there, there's a, t- a tiny benefit for them there I so. think box office will also play into all this right mm-hmm. if La La Land yeah. sinks which is possible it doesn't sure. seem likely but yeah uh, it doesn't seem likely but that would hurt and if Fences takes off that would help Denzel Fences so. just seems like it's so the perfect movie opening over Christmas that like the grown-ups can go see like yeah. I know they, they, they don't want to go see Rogue One they don't want to see Passengers but like you know Fences it's got movie stars in it you know it. it's literature <laughs> well and I'll tell you one other thing about Fences is as we're all struggling to sort of digest the meaning of Trump winning, 
this is a total blue collar story about a blue collar guy and he has some serious racial resentments but i think he's in many ways more relatable to you know the sort of folks who have let everyone know that they're sick mm. of the status quo with this election than certainly the characters in la la land i mean sure. this is a you know he, he's a, at the end of the day he's a hard-working blue collar guy who is old school and yeah. drives everybody crazy for that reason. Yeah, no, I think that's true. There's a political element to both the script, but also just the movie and it, its kind of existence yeah. right now that will be interesting to see play out. Talking about seeing it over the holidays with family, like, it's a kind of multi-quadrant movie, you know? Yeah. Whoever in the household likes How to Get Away with Murder is like, okay, so we check that box. <laughs> Everyone likes Denzel Washington, check yeah. that box, you know? Mm-hmm. Lots good, of people like literature, you know, like yeah. people read Fences in high school. I mean, I, I, yeah. I hope that no one listening has a theater major in their family, but if they do, that <laughs> theater major is going to want to see it's the... It's such a horrible <laughs> thing because yeah. of a fall of family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Given how much time we just spent talking about Fences, I don't know, guys. Uh, you like, just um, persuaded I us. I have not seen this movie. You prompted <laughs> us to I talk am. ourselves into it. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on iTunes. What better to do when killing time in an airport trying to get to your Thanksgiving destination or back home? You can find us all at VanityFair.com and on Twitter together at Little Gold Men and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? Rylaws. R-I-L-A-W-S. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner, and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best advice on how to fit everything on your Thanksgiving plate goes to Mike Hogan. You need a spreadsheet. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.